Welcome to the Breathe Easy Pediatrics Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Thomas. I am a pediatric pulmonologist and CF Center Director at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Today, I bring you a conversation with Dr. David Stukas. Dr. Stukas is an assistant professor of pediatrics in the section of allergy immunology at Nationwide Children's Hospital and director of the hospital's complex asthma clinic. His clinical and research interests focus on asthma and food allergies, especially improving education and adherence for patients and families. As part of his research, he has created novel technology and educational tools using mobile health apps to improve care for patients. Dr. Stukas is here to discuss his new book, Social Media for Medical Professionals, Strategies for Successfully Engaging in an Online World, which he co-wrote with Michael Patrick and Catherine Nuss. In this podcast, we discuss what brought him to social media to begin with, and then what prompted him to write this book. He offers some really keen insights on a medical professional's role in the platform, as well as how to grow and expand your audience on social media. This provides a glimpse into the incredibly useful information available in his book to those of us in the medical field out there on social media. I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm here to discuss your new book, Social Media for Medical Professionals, Strategies for Successfully Engaging in Online World. And sort of the easiest place, I think, for me to start would be what, what kind of got you interested in, in writing the book? We have been working with medical professionals on various levels. And I say we, it's Mike Patrick and Kathy Nuss and myself and folks at Nationwide Children's Hospital here in Columbus for several years. And we've given presentations at national meetings. We've led workshops, started an elective curriculum here at our institution for medical students and residents several years ago, and we've been doing this sort of on a local level and then on a national level but in smaller groups for a long time. And that's when it dawned upon us, well, this information seems like it's new to a lot of people. It seems like it's useful and well-received from a lot of the folks that have given us feedback over the years. Why don't we put it all together in a book and then uh, see if we can help even more people on a, a larger scale? Because ultimately. We want medical professionals to be involved in social media. We want to help them with strategies towards reaching a target audience and really for successful engagement. So it was our experiences, and we basically got together and said, hey, can we uh, you know, put this together in a textbook format? And that's why we did so. So how does the book help medical professionals engage in the social media? Is it more like tips and tricks or um, sort of more general strategies or sort of a mix and match? It's definitely a mix and match. Uh, We start with some background about sort of the evolution of social media as well as some of the different formats and channels that people use in order to receive their medical information. It's really a call to arms. It's talking about how we know that the general public and our patients are going online and we know that they're searching for medical information for themselves and for loved ones and we sort of want to build the case for this is why we all need to be involved as, as the true experts to be out there to disseminate evidence-based information and counteract the misinformation that's out there. And then we talk about strategies and, and ways to, you know, how, where do you start from? How do you get involved? Because there's a wide range of people out there. There are people in private practice or academic settings. There's various specialties and various levels of their career, some more technologically challenged than others. And so we really want to help out with just let's start with the basics let's help tell a story, let's help reach a target audience, and really walk through the ultimate reason of, well, why are you out there? So for those people that are already engaged in social media, it's a good chance to kind of think through, why am I out here? What's my purpose? And who am I trying to reach? And what messages am I trying to send 
for those who are new to it, it's thinking through those easy steps of, well, what am I trying to do and why would I join this and what's that going to look like? So it, it's more of the general strategies and then the tips and tricks. Uh, we do get into some fun you know, interactions and uh, examples to, to really help guide people with the different formats such as Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and why this channel may work for you, this one may not work for you in some ways that you can sort of reach a wider audience by using things like hashtags and trending items and you know how to get involved in conversations that are already taking place. So I'll be honest with you, it was a ton of fun to write. Uh, as I mentioned at the, at the first question, it's something that we've been doing on a on a more personal level for quite a few years, and so we were to now put it on paper and spell it out. Uh, and we use a lot of examples and screenshots of various accounts. You know, really, we want to give people a blueprint to help them kind of get started on their journey or reinforce some of the habits that they've already adopted. So I think it's interesting that you sort of talk about what brought people to social media and what the goal of any medical user or someone is for sort of joining the space. I'm just sort of curious, what brought you to social media? What got you interested in sort of interacting this way, either with the medical community or with more lay people? It started for me because I kept hearing the same questions and misinformation time and time again from patients, referring providers, colleagues, general public, media. And I really started to get interested in where these misconceptions come from and the origins of which sort of dispelling some of these myths and misconceptions. And I did some research along those lines, and I was fortunate to give some talks along those lines and really get a better understanding of it. And then it was my brother-in-law, actually. It was 2013. And he said, you know, Dave, with the the work that you're doing, you should really go on Twitter. And I looked at him and I said, what the heck is Twitter? And then I I learned more about it, and I I learned that social media is a really powerful tool. Uh, One, because that's where a lot of the misinformation originates from. But two, maybe I could use social media to help combat some of that and provide evidence-based information. So I met with the folks in my hospital that were running our social media channels at the time, and they were extremely supportive. They want physicians here at Nationwide Children's Hospital to be on social media as long as we go through sort of proper training and act as professionals, uh, which is a big part of this, and I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. And so that's when I joined social media for the first time, was really to combat misinformation surrounding something that's near and dear to my heart and something that I am an expert on, which is allergic conditions. And that's when I started you know, talking about misinformation surrounding food allergies and allergic rhinitis and environmental allergies and asthma and things along those lines. And you know, I, I was able to gain a following uh, relatively quickly and sort of build that and cultivate it. And you know, one of the big things that I do on social media is I, my target audience is wide-ranging. So I'm trying to, meet, to reach patients and the general public and you know, put information out there, but I also engage as well. So when I get questions, I, I can never give specific medical information. And I tell that to every single person who asks me for specific advice. I just can't do that. You're not my patient. Even if you were my patient, this isn't the way to do it, to protect them. But I can give general information or, or put a link to a vetted resource on a professional organization's website, some other research articles or something like that. So I can help people by answering questions and just relaying a lot of the same questions that I was hearing in the clinical setting. So I take a question I get from a family that I hear in the office. I never identify them, of course put it out there on social media and say, this is something I commonly hear about, talk about the answers to it and why they're the correct answers and evidence-based. And then I take the feedback that I receive online and I use that when I go back to the clinic. So whenever I see patients, I can anticipate some of the questions they're going to have or think through some of the answers. And then so really it is a mutually beneficial sort of a, a circular approach to all of this. In regards to reaching out to medical professionals, I realized also early on that there's very few of us out there using social media, still relatively few of us using social media for any purpose, let alone to provide evidence-based information or as a medical professional. 
so this was you know my attempt to engage our colleagues and get them more interested, more knowledgeable, and show them that there's a pathway to succeed and uh, you know have fun with it along the way. So you mentioned that Nationwide Children's Hospital was sort of encouraging their faculty to get out there and get on social media, but do it in a professional way. What do you see as a professional versus unprofessional way to act on social media? And what are some of the mistakes that you see medical providers making on social media? This is an important concept. I think if you're going to be out there as a medical professional, representing yourself as a medical professional, then you have to behave professionally. So first and foremost, you absolutely have to be wary of patient privacy. In no way, shape, or form can you ever put any information out there that would violate somebody's privacy. So you have to be very in touch with the HIPAA laws, and there's just some, you know, some easy tips that you can employ to make sure you don't accidentally violate that. So that's first and foremost. But then the other way is you know, conduct yourself in a professional manner. So there's a lot of negative interactions that occur on social media, and there's trolls and you know, other people that are trying to get inflammatory emotional responses from people. And it's important as medical professionals, don't engage in that. You can avoid that. You can still put out evidence-based information that can help people without engaging in all the negative sort of back-and-forth pseudoscientific stuff that goes on out there. And then other things to think about, too, is what's your reason for being out there? You absolutely, every one of us can have a personal account and not identify ourselves as medical professionals or run it for, you know, putting out pictures of our family or engaging with friends and family or talking about our political views. But if you're going to do that as a medical professional, it's a lot trickier and you're going to alienate a lot of your target audience. So if you really want to represent yourself or your practice from a professional standpoint, unless it is dealing with policy or something that's going to impact, you know, legislation that will impact the health of our patients, we should be avoiding things such as politics and religion, sort of these hot topic issues that can alienate a certain segment of the audience. If you feel passionate about that, that's fine, but you may not want to approach that from the medical professional standpoint. So those are just some of the overall things to think about as you're out there sort of representing yourself in our profession. Along those lines, one of the things I've seen on Twitter, which is the platform I'm most familiar with, is we have some physicians who choose to use a pseudonym versus some who choose to identify themselves in their practice and where they're coming from. Obviously, you chose to sort of put your name and image on the account and kind of put yourself out there in that way. Was that a conscious decision about, you know, really identifying yourself or do you think that had any benefit or downside compared to those who maybe aren't identifying themselves personally on their account? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I did that very consciously and there's a purpose behind everything in my profile and the way I identify myself. I think it goes back to what's your purpose for being out here? If you want to try to impact people and disseminate evidence-based information and counter misinformation and answer questions and represent yourself as a medical professional, then I think the upside to using your name and picture far outweighs the downside. Think about how you consume social media. If you come across an anonymous account, it lacks credibility, uh, which we have as medical experts. Um, you don't know who's on the other end of it, and you're less likely going to engage with it or pay attention to it. It's not universally true, but you know, when it comes to being a medical professional, if you want to be out there and represent yourself as such, I think that there's a lot of benefit to doing so. And that was my choice. So I wanted people to know who I am. I want them to know my name, but I purposely put the doctor in front of the, the Dave Stukas because, well, frankly, that's who I am, and that's what I'm here to do. So I want them to know right away that I'm a doctor out here on social media. But you're going to see a lot of other people use that doctor moniker as well. 
one, sometimes medical doctors want to represent themselves as such, but you're also going to see that for a lot of folks that aren't medical doctors that may be trying to use that to elevate their platform and things along those lines as well. So there's a lot of reasons to do it. And then in my profile, I put links to my institution. I put links to the professional organizations that I work with and the website as well at my institution because I want people to find me. So I want to be vetted and say, listen, this is who I am. I'm a real person. This is my name. This is my picture. This is you know, who I'm affiliated with. This is where you can find me. So if you want to vet what I have to say, because ultimately there's a lot of disagreements with evidence-based information and science in general, so I want the world to know that I'm representing myself as an expert in my field, and this is what I have to offer. Have you found that putting yourself out there sort of publicly like this has led to any additional opportunities or interesting interactions or anything else that's been a benefit from being a part of social media that maybe you didn't expect? Yeah, using my real name and contact information has absolutely led to invitations to speak at national conferences from other organizations. It's led to media requests for interviews based upon the topics and information that I present. It's directly led to new patients coming to see me. Everybody out there listening to this podcast, all of our patients, they're online. They're looking for us. Now, we can talk as much as you want about the online health reviews and how bogus those are, but This is a way for me to control my online presence. So when people search my name, they're going to see my social media accounts. They're going to see all the blog posts that I've written for various organizations. They're going to see the media um, interviews that I've given. They're going to see my research. It's all going to come up there before they get to anything bogus or other people using my name for other reasons or things like that. So this is another reason to think about is we can control the narrative and combat to the best of our ability all those Google algorithms and things that determine what appears where. Uh, But the benefits to doing it this way, I think, far outweigh any of the downsides, which include, as you build a platform and you strike a nerve and depends upon what you want to talk about, there are potential negatives and there is a very prominent and vocal anti-vaccine community. They do not play by the same rules that we do. Uh, So my institution does receive phone calls and complaints on occasion. They're used to it and they support it and they completely understand it. There's always the concern, especially from our female colleagues, a more personal nature where people can be pretty nasty when they want to be. But, you know, I don't think that's a reason for us to avoid doing it. I think there's ways to combat that and ultimately just block those people so you never have to hear from them again. But I completely understand why some people would not want to put themselves out there, especially on that level. Would you recommend before some medical providers get out there in social media kind of clearing it with their institution. I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of support, but I can see how some administrators may be uncomfortable with the thought of a physician in their practice or a physician in their hospital sort of drumming up some of the negativity that can come with interacting with some of the darker sides of social media, be it the Anavax community or some of the other people out there who are sort of peddling misinformation for their own benefit. No, I absolutely support uh, reaching out to your institution and seeing what guidelines are in place. Some places may still not have any guidelines or approach to this, and not necessarily getting their blessing, but making sure that you go through the proper channels. One, they may already have training in place, and they can kind of get you up and running and, and sort of have their own way of approaching things. Two, it's important to have them on your side as well, because they can support you in many ways. They can even elevate your platform, so if they're aware of what you're putting out there, All the hospitals now have social media channels so they can perhaps highlight that in some way, shape, or form and support you as you kind of go about your endeavors. But I think that there's no reason to keep it a secret, that's for sure. And ultimately, if you do go on there as a medical professional and misbehave in some manner because you state opinions are your own or you're not saying that you work for an institution, if you don't think that you can go out there and do whatever you want and have it not come back to hurt you, you're absolutely wrong. You still represent your hospital whether you like it or not, even if on personal time. 
So I think that everybody needs to keep that in mind as well. Many of the leaders in our field may not be of a generation that is really comfortable with social media and the Internet and some of these things. Have you ever run into any struggles with people just sort of not understanding Twitter or the merits of it when you're trying to sort of drum up more support or utilize some more resources from the institution to kind of work on these sort of goals? Absolutely. And it's not necessarily resistance, it's more of its lack of um, being familiar with these platforms. So it's just having a conversation, it's communicating and saying, listen, this is the way people communicate now. It's real time. This is how they get their information. This is how they communicate their information. This is how they look for medical information. We need to be out there and there's a purpose for it. And you can demonstrate that very easily by, you know, some easy examples. And that's part of what our textbook is. It's really trying to support those that are trying to, you know, promote social media as medical professionals. And it's just, you know, having that conversation. I'm not aware of anybody necessarily that's met stark resistance that says, no, you can't do it this way. I mean, that would be pretty backwards thinking in the current year, 2019. Uh, that's what these institutions have to be doing. So there's a lot of folks out there that may not be familiar or understand it. But I think if you can talk more grand scheme and reasons for doing it, hopefully it's going to be well received. So I think part of getting out there and being sort of part of this wider community, I mean, it allows you to interact with people in the field who you otherwise may not see very often. I mean, this is something that I really am interested in, as we talked a little bit on the pre-taping part, is I just love seeing what, like, allied specialties are up to. You know, I have my, my pulmonary, Pete's pulmonary sort of lane that I stay in, but there's so many allergy and infectious disease and cardiology. You know, I just feel like I'm learning things from your, your account as well as others. Do you find sort of similarly that you're, you're constantly learning things or interacting with, you know, specialists or specialties that maybe aren't directly related to yours, but it just seems like a cool way to keep your thumb on what's happening in the medical field more widely? Oh, absolutely. I, I think I, I learned on several levels. One is you actually get to meet people and sometimes get to know them, uh, and you actually form professional collaborations sometimes. And that's happened to me. I've done now, you know, I was collaborative on a research article with some folks in Europe who I've never met in person, but we met online, which is amazing. Another reason is because you get to hear from some really smart, well-spoken people about ways to sort of disseminate information in a logical, easy-to-understand manner. So that's another thing that I learned from. Podcasting is a form of social media. I learned from podcasters such as yourself about how to conduct interviews and how to ask questions and how to keep the interviewee engaged and learn more information through conversation and things along those lines. So I think it's really just seeing how people interact with each other. When you have the experts in the field out there putting their opinion to something, I think that matters. And I learn from that and I say, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. I never thought about it that way. And that changes the way I think about things as well. One of the things that has an overlap between our two fields that is sort of, I think, generating a lot of commentary at the moment was the changes to the GINA asthma guidelines. I'm interested in hearing sort of what other people have to think about it, but I haven't seen a lot of talk about it on Twitter, and I was just sort of curious, how do you think that disseminating and discussing important changes and guidelines, recommendations, stuff like that, how social media could help us do that a little bit better? Because traditionally, I think we've had a really hard time disseminating modern changes to care into the community quickly. Do you think we're missing an opportunity with social media to discuss and disseminate some of these things? Oh, I do. So I, I have not heard a lot of chatter as well, and I'm actually a little curious about that. So there's a couple of possibilities. One is it may be very piecemeal, so maybe somebody put it out there one time and never revisited it and just nobody saw it and to gain traction. But in regards to sort of putting out new guidelines, evidence-based recommendations that can be difficult for everybody to sort of understand and adopt into clinical practice, 
Another major resource for social media are these annual meetings and national conferences and international conferences. So when you have a collection of medical professionals together in one spot listening to the expert talk about their research or a topic, every conference now has their own hashtag. There are conference attendees sending out tweets from within the conference sessions talking about information and the latest and greatest and evidence and guidelines and things like that. And people from around the world know, then they say, oh, I'm going to tune into ATS, and I'm going to hear from hundreds of people sending out information, and that gains a lot of traction. So as far as how do you get the message out there, when you tweet or send messages from the annual meeting, that has a lot of impact on a very broad level. So that's something else to kind of keep in mind as we try to talk about guidelines and dissemination of information. So I know at the most recent ATS conference that I was unable to attend, just watching some of the people there tweeting about some of these things, it's so much, I think, easier to follow when you're in your busy day-in, day-out practice. And I agree with you 100%. I was just like waiting for the next tweet and what interesting thing are you going to be posting about. And there's so much to consume these conferences. It's nice sometimes to have. Well, these are people I trust or people who, who know about these things. They're almost sort of editing the content for you. You know, the ATS conference is overwhelming in its size, I think, for most people. And so I've certainly found that to be helpful. One of the things that I was also a little bit curious about, and this is a little tongue-in-cheek, did anybody give you a hard time about doing like a traditional hard media book talking about social media? Uh, just a couple of folks. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> you know, it's, we're still in an age where people like their books. Of course, it's available in an e-edition as well. So if you'd rather have it online or on your mobile device, you can easily get it that way as well. But yeah, the whole textbook writing idea, it's, uh, from an academic standpoint, it was fun and challenging. And it's uh, an honor to you know, be an editor and co-author on it. Something nice to kind of have. I'll always have that for the rest of my career. I can look back on that. But yeah, it, it is a little bit uh, ironic that we put it in print format when we're trying to get people to go online. <laughs> the director of our web committee for ATS, he was presenting at a meeting. He said, you know, we're looking for more people to do that. And he put up his Twitter and he's like, I'm not going to give you an address or phone number because if you can't find me through social media, I don't think you're maybe the best candidate for this. And I was like, oh, that's pretty clever. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to force us to find you that way. Then you at least know what we're doing a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I like it. One of the things that I think I've seen people who are new to social media from the medical standpoint they, they're out there, they're sort of posting stuff, and, and they're trying to sort of grow their reach, you know, get more followers, get more interactions, stuff like that. Do you have any tips for people who are sort of new to Twitter, how they kind of grow their Twitter presence? Yeah, I think you need to put something of value out in the world, and then people will find you. And there's some tricks like using common hashtags that are relevant to the target audience you're trying to reach and linking to articles and using fun pictures or infographics or videos or GIFs or things like that. So it's really getting involved and staying active. You know, if you send a tweet every three days, you're not going to find anybody. So you have to get out there. And even if it seems like nobody's listening, they will eventually. It's following people that you want to emulate. It's getting involved in the conversation, offering input, and, you know, just conversing. And eventually they're going to write back and follow you back and retweet some of your stuff and, and put that out there. And then ultimately, if you're trying to reach a certain audience, what do you have to offer when they find you? So if you want them to follow you, you need to give them something of value, but then make sure that your page looks good. So have a good profile picture and a good handle and a good profile that tells the world who you are. Think about how you search online. How do you decide who to follow, who not to follow? What catches your attention? What doesn't catch your attention? And then just employ that and then just stay at it. It's a slow process in the beginning. It took me, I think... Oh, boy, I think it took me like five years to get to 10,000 followers. And then it took me another year to get to 15,000. Once you sort of gain some momentum, it takes on a life of its own after a while. But you have to stay active and engaged. 
So I think one of the people out there who's used social media and the Internet the best to sort of capitalize on a platform is ZDogMD. And mm-hmm. I saw you, you got to do a taping with him last year. What was that like? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, he's a good guy. And, you know, he's, uh, he's out there trying to do a lot of good in the world, but he's putting himself out there and trying new things. And he's very engaging. So I actually reached out to him. I was going to be in Las Vegas where he was living at the time, and that's where he recorded uh, teaching at one of our, at the American Academy of Pediatrics board degree course. And so I reached out and I said, hey, I deal with a lot of misconceptions. It seems like there's a lot of interest in the world of allergy. And I get a lot of common questions from people. And I wonder if your audience may be interested. I'm going to be in town. Do you have any interest at all? No pressure whatsoever. And I gave him links to like some blogs I wrote as well as my social media stuff. And he wrote back and he's a nice guy. I said, yeah, that sounds great. And then we came up with some questions and I drove out to his studio at the time and we met for a little while. And he, we very similar in regards to sort of personality and sense of humor and stuff like that. And the only curveball he threw me was beforehand, he said, we're going to go live with this. I wasn't going to initially, but we're going to go live because I think it's going to be very interesting. I said, okay, I'm good with that. And then he basically said, I'm going to be me and my persona. You be you. Don't do anything like, you know, that's going to get you in trouble with your institution or anything like that. I can do all that. I want you to be the expert. And then the other cool thing that he said was he likes to have experts on his show. One, because he wants to put out good content for people to sort of digest and learn from. And two, because it does, it gives him credibility. So it's really a win-win and he's very gracious and he's just, he's outstanding. He's an advocate. He's giving out great information and he's also taking a hit on the chin for a lot of us out there by absorbing some of the, the negative aspects of social media. Well, I'm happy to hear is he's as nice of a guy as he comes off on a, you know, he just seems, he's clever and fun, and it's, I just I always enjoyed his work. And so then I saw, oh, you, you, you were there. I just had to ask you about it. Just me oh, no. sort of humoring myself. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. It's still, it, yeah, every once in a while I can tell when he, like, sends it out again, even though it was about a year and a half ago, because uh, I'll get a lot of new followers and, and kind of folks working on. So it, it's great. And we've had some interactions since then as well, because he really is, he's in it for the right reasons. He wants to put the right information out there, and he realizes the platform that he's built. For my last question, I was just sort of curious. It seems like it can be kind of easy to get sort of sucked into a social media black hole where it's just taking up a tremendous amount of time. And I think most medical professionals are sort of already pressed for time constantly. You know, how do you fit it into your day and make sure that you're not letting it get in the way of anything else you're doing, but still making time to kind of generate content and be involved in a way that allows you to have a good presence? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's the number one concern we hear from a lot of people of like, how do you have the time to do this? I'm already swamped. And, you know, how does this fit in with family and work time and things like that? And, you know, the the brief answer is you make it work for you. It does not have to be time consuming and all encompassing. Uh, You do want to stay relevant and sort of check in at least once a day. It's interesting because for me being the social media person and, and involved on many levels, when I look around at my colleagues, they're on their phones more than I am. And they're, they're checking in with Facebook and Twitter, and they're, seems like, addicted to social media more than I am. And it's because I, I've regulated it, and I, I make it a part of my life, but it doesn't consume my life. So rule number one, turn off all notifications. And I recommend this for everybody with email and everything. I don't want to be a slave to my dings and my notifications. I want to interact with social media when I want to interact with it. I have to be in the right mood. I have to be in the right mindset. Same thing with email and everything else. So turn off the notifications. You control when you interact with it. That's a big part of this. Number two is I schedule it. So the way things work out for me, I'm an early riser. So I generally do things early in the morning. There's great tools you can use to actually schedule posts and schedule tweets throughout the day if you want. Or I just post something and then I, you know, will check on for 30 minutes, see if there's anybody I have to answer and then put new information out there. 
go about my morning with my, my wife and kids and get to work and see patients. And then I'll check in over lunch, sometimes post new things or answer some questions. Generally, I'll check in, you know, this, that's another 20 minutes or so. Check in 10, 15 minutes at the end of the workday just to make sure there's nothing pressing, which there usually isn't. And then usually in the evening, there's inevitably some downtime, whether it's 15, 20 minutes. And that's when I'll just kind of scroll through. And that's also when I'm learning as well. And I follow a lot of great accounts and I learn from them or get some links to articles or media reports and things along those lines. And that gives me some good information to learn from or think about new posts as well. So throughout the day, it's probably an hour or so spread out multiple times. And, you know, there's downtime as well. I, of course, I never do it when I'm driving, but if I'm the passenger in a car, I ask the driver if they're, if they're okay with me checking in while I have the downtime. Or, you know, if I'm walking around in the hospital or taking a little break or something like that, then maybe I'll check in there as well. But, you know, there's some tips that you can adopt. But I'd say ultimately, whatever works for your schedule is what works for you, and that's okay. I'd like to thank you for joining us today. I think that was a lot of really interesting information for everyone out there, and I really appreciate you giving me this time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more information on Dr. Stukas, hit him up on Twitter at AllergyKidsDoc. Listening back to the podcast, I was really sort of struck by how thoughtful he was about his online presence. One of the things that really stood out to me was knowing what your goal of being on social media is and working towards that goal with your content and who you interact with. I think a lot of us are out there just sort of posting and retweeting whatever happens to be the hot topic. And that sort of a muddled approach might limit our ability to interact with people either that we're trying to reach or might benefit from interaction with. I was really impressed by how comfortable he was in the interview setting. And a majority of the editing I had to do for this podcast was me, not him. He should probably be hosting this, not me. Please check out his new book, Social Media for Medical Professionals, Strategies for Successfully Engaging in an Online World. It is available wherever books are sold. If you like this podcast and would like to hear more like it, please subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast app you happen to use.